Now entering Nerdist.com. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Cook, and you've found the internet's number one most trusted source for Muppet boners and horny loners. Today you're going to hear round one from a show recorded August 10th, 2013 at the Outside Lands Festival in San Francisco, featuring Bruce McCullough, Moshe Kasher, Emily Heller, and Jesse Elias, reading pieces they wrote in advance based upon topics of their choosing. Speaking of San Francisco, competitive erotic fanfiction returns, this time to The Punchline, on November 12th, 2013, 7 p.m. doors, and tickets are available at punchlinecomedy.com. And let's kick off round one with a local favorite, Mr. Jesse Elias, ladies and gentlemen, Jesse Elias. Keep clapping, keep clapping for Jesse. Okay. <clears throat> Shall I begin? Do it. Okay. <clears throat> uh, Jafar stood brooding in his private chambers located in the villain's annex of the Disneyland castle. What's the matter, squawked an annoying parrot voiced by Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> um, oh, Iago, how I loathe this so-called magic kingdom. The happiest place on earth? What could be more antithetical to my villainous nature? Posing for pictures with Goofy and Buzz Lightyear, treated like a piece of intellectual property beholden to the Disney corporate image? Well, no longer. The sorcerer's magic staff crackled with purple energy as he conjured up a spell so massive every creature within a five-mile radius felt it. What was that? squawked Diago. The fastest way to destroy an empire built on family entertainment, Jafar said with a grin. Let's see their precious corporate image survive this. The parrot looked down at his master's all-seeing crystal ball and saw Aladdin, bearing his face in Ariel's red-haired pussy. <laughs> oh, man, I wonder if she smells like fish down there. <laughs> Very clever, Iago. Now be quiet and pay attention. They gazed into the crystal and saw Ariel spreading her smooth, naked lady legs. Okay, big boy, she said. Show me what you got. All right, Aladdin pulled down his pants and stuck his penis in her big, sexy cartoon vagina. <laughs> Not as big as Prince Eric, Ariel observed with a sigh. She abstained from making a catty reference to the fact that Persian cucumbers are smaller than English cucumbers. <laughs> Next time you're at Trader Joe's, it's true. Uh, <laughs> Aladdin grimaced. What? You mean you've already been deflowered by another man? Unacceptable. From a puff of smoke, there appeared a giant blue naked Robin Williams with jingling gold nipple rings. What is thy bidding, Master Aladdin? Genie, I wish for Ariel to be exactly as she was before she ever met this Prince Eric. No, she shrieked. You don't understand. I was different back then. But it was too late. Aladdin's wish was granted. Her parted legs suddenly snapped shut, fusing together in a writhing tail. Failing to withdraw his penis mid-transformation, <laughs> Aladdin screamed as the endoskeletal structure of the tail magically reconstituted itself and impaled his dick on the pointed spine of a caudal vertebra. <laughs> his fish bones are sharp. <laughs> Aladdin instinctively tried to pull himself free, tearing his dick clean off. Ah! <laughs> Aha! Crackled Jafar, watching his old nemesis bleed to death. 
Be careful what you wish for, boy. Now let us see what other delights my magic has wrought. The sorcerer watched with glee as the crystal ball revealed unto him the many scenes of lascivious scandal now unfolding throughout the kingdom. He saw Shang from Mulan banging Snow White, singing, let's get down to business. <laughs> he saw the hyenas from the Lion King sucking each other's dicks. And that includes the Whoopi Goldberg hyena because female hyenas can enlarge their clitorises into fake penises to ward off predators. It's true, look it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, what's this? Jafar paused on the image of Pocahontas, who was fooling around now with a boy much younger than herself. She reached into the boy's red lederhosen and purred. I sense the spirit of the oak tree within you. <laughs> Actually, Geppetto says he carved me out of pine, said Pinocchio. <laughs> Geppetto, huh? Well, they got the pedo part, right? What kind of guy goes to bed praying for a real doll shaped like an eight-year-old boy? <laughs> Silence, Iago. <laughs> Pocahontas withdrew her hand from Pinocchio's crotch. There's nothing there, she exclaimed. I told you I'm not a real boy. The puppet lowered his head in shame. Close enough, she shot back, pushing him to the ground. You can pronounce the letter L, so obviously your tongue works. Now eat this pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Pinocchio opened his mouth to protest, but only managed a muffled splort as Pocahontas sat on his face. Oh, yes, yeah, she moaned. You like that, don't you? No, the wooden boy cried, ashamed to admit his own sexuality. Just then, Pocahontas felt something long and hard slide up into her rectum. <laughs> oh, what was that? It's nothing, Pinocchio blurted in embarrassment, causing his nose to extend further into her asshole. <laughs> I've heard of brown nosing, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> Enough, Iago. <laughs> it gets longer every time I tell a lie, Pinocchio confessed. Well then, a sly grin came to Pocahontas' face. If you're bound to the truth, then answer me this. Do you promise to be my personal fuck toy and accept me as your mistress for the rest of your unnatural little life? Yes, mistress, said Pinocchio. I want you to dominate me. I worship you. You're such a strong and powerful woman. All those things you did. What things I did? Well, don't be modest, said Pinocchio. I saw your movie. You're an American hero. In 1647, you negotiated peace between the colonists and the Indians by making John Smith understand the value of nature with your songs. No, stop! That's right. And then you stopped the massacre of your people with the help of your animal friends. And that's how this country was founded. And ah! Pinocchio screamed as he looked up, looked up and saw Pocahontas impaled on the five-foot wooden pole that was now his nose. Oh, no, he cried. Was it something I said? <laughs> <laughs> Jafar cackled Nothing can stop me now Suddenly a giant muscular leg Kicked down the door Gaston from Beauty and the Beast Bared his hairy chest Declaring in a booming baritone And my cock is the size of a butch and Gaston raped Jafar to death And Disney went bankrupt The end <laughs> Thank you Jesse Elias Emily Heller, Emily Heller, where you at? Oh, there you are. Emily Heller, ladies and gentlemen. Keep it going for Emily, your second competitor. <clears throat> I'm gonna, can you hold this for a second? Yeah. I'm gonna lower the mic. All right, this is called A Crane in the Hand. Okay, Roz, who do we have next? <laughs> next up, we have John from Tacoma, who's suffering from depression. Go ahead, caller, I'm listening. Oh, but Dr. Fraser Crane wasn't listening. 
He was thinking about Roz, his dusky voice producer on his long-running, CB award-winning radio show. For years, they had sat feet away from each other, calmly answering the psychological queries of the greater Seattle area, separated by a few feet, some microphones, a pane of glass, and a taboo. Roz was six months pregnant. <laughs> what Fraser didn't know was the pregnancy was making Roz super horny. What Roz didn't know was Fraser had a thing for pregnant chicks, and he was rock hard. Oh, right, the collar. Yes, Dr. Crane, I'm so depressed, I can't seem to get out of bed. Fraser was having a hard time sympathizing because he wanted to be in bed then too, but with Roz, naked, doing it. My advice, caller, stay in there. Bring a friend. We'll be right back. Fraser, what was that? Are you feeling all right? They were both breathing heavily into their microphones, heavier than they realized. No, Roz, I'm not. I think I need to go home. I think we both do. There was a pause then, as pregnant as Roz herself. Was he saying what she thought he was saying? Was he inviting her home with him? Meanwhile, back at Fraser's house, things were quiet. His father, Martin, was out of town, which is pretty convenient because I don't think anyone here wanted to see that happen. <laughs> Daphne Moon, Martin's physical therapist, was enjoying a day off at home, which meant one thing, naked yoga. It was, she was so entranced in her own stretching that she didn't seem to hear the lock turn in the door. It was Niles, Fraser's brother and Daphne's greatest admirer. For eight years, he had pined for her, fantasizing about silencing her harsh Cockney accent with a Cockney accent of his own. <laughs> he had come over to the house with some flimsy excuse. Out of Beaujolais, perhaps? She was stupid enough to buy that. Anything he could think of just to see her, to be around her, to catch a whiff of her hair, a slight scent of her pussy. He had a nose for wine, and the skill translated. Even, even from across the room, he could detect a hint of cherry, some oaky top notes, <laughs> a wash and a hearty stank. <laughs> so imagine Niles' surprise when he walked in to find Daphne exactly as he'd always pictured her, standing there with her ass in the air, naked and downward-facing dog, her bright pink pussy practically glowing, radiating heat. Daphne, he trembled as he walked toward her his cock stiffening inside his pleated khakis. She couldn't hear him, so he walked closer. Daphne, he called again. This time she answered. Dr. Crane, I didn't hear you come in, but I hope you, I hear you next time. Why, Daphne, whatever could you mean? I mean, we've both waited long, long enough for this, Niles. That you came in now is a sign. I want you to take me right now, and I want to hear you come inside me. Niles gulped, his dick got harder. Back at the radio station, Roz and Fraser had canceled that day's show. As they often did on days when they canceled, Roz had put in a tape of the best of Fraser Crane. Meanwhile, the best of Fraser Crane was being put into Roz. <laughs> they couldn't wait to get home. They succumbed right there in the studio. Fraser had bent Roz over her producer's chair, pulled down her maternity pants, and things got pretty wild. She tossed his salad. He scrambled her eggs. <laughs> Then, just as he was about to blow his load, the door swung open. It was Gil Chesterton, noted Seattle food critic and closet homosexual. <laughs> the shock of what he saw sent his bow tie askew. Frasier and Roz, mid-coitus in our shared studio, I give this zero stars. <laughs> oh, really, Gil? Roz fired back. 
Tell that to your dick. She was right. It was hard. Let's get out of here. Back at the apartment, Niles was now down, naked, down to his socks and garters. His hands were resting tentatively on Daphne's ass, his erect penis poised at her opening, about to do the thing he'd waited eight years to do. Just then, Fraser and Roz burst in, groping each other, getting each other naked. The shock made Niles thrust into Daphne to the hilt, and in one pump he came. Eight years of stored ejaculate surging out of him and into Daphne's pussy. The force of the explosion blasted them both to the ground in opposite directions, <laughs> writhing around like on a gooey slip and slide. <laughs> oh, Dr. Crane, moaned Daphne. Then, seeing Fraser, exclaimed, Oh, other Dr. Crane. Fraser and Roz slipped in the cum puddle, too, and the four new lovers groped around each other for stability, their slippery, fertile bodies intertwining. Fraser started eating Roz out, her fat, pregnant ass sitting on his face. <laughs> as Daphne slid down onto his hard dick from above. Her asshole up in the air, Niles got hard again and stuck his blood sausage in her tight English muffin. Roz gripped Fraser's hair as he worked her clit and pumped into Daphne, Niles pumping into her ass. Daphne and Roz both climaxed as the crane boys wiggled their weird peens inside of them. Proving the adage, a crane in the hand is worth two in the bush. <laughs> don't stop, they wailed. Don't stop, don't stop said both the Crane Boys in unison, I'm listening. Thank you. <laughs> Emily Heller. Keep it going for Moshe Kasher, folks. Moshe Kasher. There he is. Hey, Moshe. Hi, everybody. I got to ask, uh, is, there any, is by any chance Paul McCartney here? Okay, good. <laughs> Uh, my uh, fan fiction is about the Outside Lands Music Festival. <laughs> and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. And in a spray of confetti, Sir Paul was done. Aubrey's mind was blown. He was 16 years old and it was the greatest concert he'd ever been to. In fact, this was the greatest day of his life. Earlier that day, he checked out Moshe Kasher's comedy show, which was essentially equal to Paul McCartney in talent, <laughs> scope, and lasting mastery. It was day one of the Outside Lands Music Festival, and he just didn't see how it could get better. But he was determined to find out. Travis, I'm sorry, Aubrey yelled to his mom that he was gonna go get backstage and try to meet Paul McCartney, but she was busy splayed out on a picnic blanket and being furiously finger-fucked by a man they'd, she'd met earlier that night who called himself simply Grok. <laughs> Grok's two-foot-tall cat-in-the-hat hat had been knocked akimbo <laughs> by the force with which he had been finger-blasting her to helter-skelter. <laughs> Whatever. Aubrey took off and slunk back, back behind the stage, and when he was stopped by a lady in a purple shirt asking for his wristband, he simply explained to her that she was making minimum wage and there was no need for her to care this much about a festival that didn't belong to her in any way. <laughs> While she paused, thinking about the inequity of labor and the choices in her life that had gotten her here, <laughs> Travis slipped past her and toward the huge tour bus behind the stage. Somehow there was no one guarding it and Travis popped the door open and stepped inside. In there he saw something he never would have expected. Paul was alone, 
naked, and furiously masturbating to a life-size oil painting of Yoko Ono. Stunned, Aubrey spoke. Mr. McCartney? Paul turned, cock still in hand, and looked back at Aubrey. Well, hello, Aubrey. He tugged on his cock as if it were a cap that he was tipping to say hello. How do you know my name? Well, I'm a beetle. I know everything. <laughs> what, what, what are you doing? Well, I'm just rubbing my little Ringo. Yeah. Wow, cool. Cool, I, I do that, kind of a lot. Hey, there's no such thing as too much. It's just a part of life. You might even say it's a part of a day in the life. Sorry, little Beatles joke there. Oh, you shouldn't make jokes, Aubrey said. Leave it to the pros, like this comedian I saw earlier today. His name was Moshe Kasha? I love that guy. He's brilliant. Emboldened by their connection over the comedy darling that was Moshe Kasher, <laughs> Aubrey probed further. Well, who sat in that picture? The Asian lady. Is, is that Connie Chung? Of course not. That's Yoko Ono. Well, why are you doing that in front of her picture? Well, I'm summoning her. She's a witch, you know. Watch, let me show you. Paul McCartney spit into his hand a glob of snot that in the 60s would have been put into a vial and sold at Sotheby's and slathered his three-inch rock-hard cock with it. He jerked it crazily as Aubrey watched transfixed. Sir Paul's eyes rolled back in his head and he began speaking in tongues like a man possessed. Goo-goo-ka-choo! Goo-goo-ka-choo! He threw his legs up in the air and spread them into a deep V, all the while jerking, jerking. A mist, not unlike that hyper-cool vapor that's released from an e-cigarette, began, <laughs> began drifting from the pee hole of the bee toll. And from his asshole, an ink-black bla spray was released like a squid fighting for its life. In the air, the two substances, black and white, yin and yang, swirled together like a soft-serve ice cream cone and then stopped, hovering in mid-air. There was a moment of pause in the room. Aubrey found he couldn't breathe. Shooting forward, the alchemic sludge hit the painting of Yoko, covering it and dripping down the canvas, black and viscous. The painting began to ripple as if there was a wind blowing at it from behind. And just then, a razor-thin line of flame split the painting in two, and the real Yoko emerged, naked, covered in blood and blue flame. Paul, why you call me here? <laughs> Oh, hey, Mother Yoko, I'm all done with my concert and I'm ready to go back home. Oh, very well. <laughs> yeah, the voice isn't going to change, so. <laughs> Yoko laid down on her back and spread her legs. Her deep, dark, black and gray pubic thatch was gnarled and caught together like a mound of cobwebs. She, what do you think it looks like? <laughs> she spread herself open and Sir Paul stepped to the back of the bus and w winked at Aubrey, who was just confused. Paul, what's going on here? I know you're confused. Well, I died in 1969 and Mother Yoko slid my corpse into her resurrection womb. I've been living there ever since and only emerge when it's time to play When I'm 64. Then it's back to the sludge pit. <laughs> but if that's true, how come John died? Why didn't he just go live there too? But he did. 
John lives there too. He changed form though. When you're up there, you can be whoever you want. You can stay who you are, or you can become someone new. Aubrey was dumbfounded. I, I don't think I understand. Well, show him, Yoko. She sighed as if tired of this game, but spread her legs wider and pushed like a mother giving birth. A pair of black leather pants emerged from her witch pussy, <laughs> kicking back and forth until out popped Trent Reznor. <laughs> Trent Reznor? Well, here I'm in the bus. It's just John Lennon. This is who I've been since 1980. Honest, I know that John and Paul sound the same. I'm doing what I can. <laughs> Honestly, I want to fuck you like an animal just reflects where I'm coming from these days more than give peace a chance. Though I am working on a mashup. Imagine I was fucking you like an animal. <laughs> Aubrey was now getting pretty excited. Well, what about George? Is he still alive? Yoko sighed, for fuck's sake! And shoved another body out of her slithering cunt who came out bass first and began slapping chords. Flee? Of course it was. But what about Ringo, Aubrey asked. Everyone began laughing at him. Well, he's been dead this whole time. <laughs> one by one, Yoko began popping people out of her pussy as they announced themselves. Anthony Kiedis shot out, hey, I'm Janis Joplin. <laughs> Kurt Vile, what's up, I'm Gigi Allen. Hall and Oates, well, I'm really Hall, but I'm Amadeus Mozart. <laughs> and so on. Finally, Aubrey began to understand, so, Outside lands is really my pussy, shrugged, shrugged, shrieked Yoko. Everybody black inside. One by one, they leapt, dived, and cannonballed back into Ono's snatch until it was only Paul and Aubrey left in the bus. There's room in there, you know. What do you mean? Where? In Yoko's cunt. You could come with me. You could be whoever you like. You could be a rock and roll star. Y you mean it? Well, yeah, I mean it. Well, come back with me. We'd love to have you. Aubrey thought about his mom, who was probably fucking Grok in a bush in the park right now. <laughs> he thought about the kids in school that called him weird. He thought about Moshe Kasher again, just because that dude was so funny. <laughs> he thought about his old life and decided, what the hell, why not? Sir Paul held out his hand and Aubrey grabbed it, emboldened by the strength he felt in Paul's undead fingers. Let's do it. Together, they ran down the aisle of the tour bus and Travis felt the weight of his old life leave him. They leapt into the air and in a graceful arc came back down as Yoko's graying pussy lips came closer at every second. Who would he be in there? What would he choose for his new rock and roll persona? He didn't know. As those magic Asian labia surrounded him, all he knew was that he felt loved for the first time and he knew he could take that love. And in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. And that is the story of how Drake began his rap career. <laughs> <laughs> Moshe Kasher. Keep it going for your final round one competitor, Bruce McCullough, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. Hello, beautiful comedy children. I, I didn't really know what fan fiction was, um, but I don't tweet either. So, you know, relic or enigma. That's probably a tweet topic. Um, so you like the dirty ones, huh? Um, so I, I, there's no pop culture references really in here, so you can just sort of translate in your own brain. 
Like if I say forest, you can think M&Ms or something like that. <laughs> this is a little piece I wrote on the plane and then printed it in the cab here on the way here. Um, it's called Sex Weekend. When you're told to go on a sex weekend, you shouldn't be told twice. You know it gets hard for couples who have been together, but you've got to keep trying. I learned this the hard way. And by the hard way, I mean in the couple's therapist couch, where a series of sad asses had previously sat. All of us guys learning to listen better. And what I've learned is seduction is not sharing deodorant. Foreplay is not turning off the TV or saying, who starts? Or spitting on your hand. <laughs> My wife and I definitely needed a sex weekend. The trip had been bumpy from the start. We got into the room and well, it wasn't great. For example, the fireplace, it was electric. I mean, I suppose technically someone could say we sat by the roaring electric fireplace, but not really. We all want the same things, to be loved and love in relatively equal amounts. They say great minds think alike, but in truth, so do bargain hunters. We all want that great room with a view, but we don't want to have to pay so much for it that we don't enjoy being in it. We were in a junior suite that we paid for. Anyone who has done any budget romance travel can tell you that there's a big difference between a suite and a junior suite. Perhaps comparable to the difference between Frank Sinatra and Frank Sinatra Jr. The other thing that threw the weekend off stride was the woman at the front desk. She smiled at my pretty wife and said, congratulations. First there was confusion, no, it's not our anniversary. Then that terrible realization that she mistook my wife for pregnant. Um, yes, I know. Um, and she's here. Um, young Heidi was 10 months old at the time and my wife was still breastfeeding. Maybe it's the way you're standing, I offered helplessly. My pretty wife glared sadly. In truth, she had been carrying some baby weight that I secretly feared was turning into toddler weight. In the rooms, the bumps continued when she realized she'd forgotten her breast pump and that, well, I would have to do it the old-fashioned way, extract the milk with my mouth using a coffee cup. It wasn't as erotic as it sounds. I didn't do it right. My face got numb. I didn't know if I was supposed to enjoy it or not. And I've realized why babies have that stupid look on their face all the time. It was more like erotic assembly line work. I just found my rhythm um, when there was a knock at the door. It was the bellhop with a tray, a half bottle of champagne. It was from the apologetic woman at the front desk, who it seems was at least half sorry for buzz killing our sex weekend. So I uncorked it by twisting off the top, and my wife smiled and disappeared into the bathroom. Now, even a Claude knew it was now time for the sex part of the sex weekend. I could hear my wife in the bathroom doing things. She gargled, sexy. <laughs> now, I'm gonna get dirty in a minute, but in truth, not as dirty as I'm gonna get in two minutes. Okay, my wife came out and she came and she opened her robe to reveal a surprise, a project she had been working on before we left home. She had shaved something. Yes, that. And perhaps I'm old, but I missed the memo why girls started shaving down there. 
I mean, I was off the market at the time, but my research seems to indicate that around 1998, they became rectangle. Is that true? And then around the millennium, they became either hexagonal or trapezoid. And then around 2003 and 2004, it became sort of creative. Women started just shaving like a heart or like a question mark if they didn't know what they wanted in bed. Or like an arrow pointing to the button going, yeah, dude, fuck, figure it out. Fucking find it this time. <laughs> you know? And then around 2007, they shaved the whole enchilado or taco, as the case may be. And women would just walk around whistling, I guess. But I'm old-fashioned. I don't like it. I, I miss a nice old 70s bush. You know, a nice badonkadonk bush. I remember a time when women grew their pussies proudly, like a farmer growing a cabbage. <laughs> and she would water it and get sun on it, and if God smiled upon you, the bush would grow and it would be good. My wife and I had never talked about it. It didn't come up on our first date. It wasn't the next logical question after, it, you know, how do you, any brothers or sisters? Your views on the bush? And as she came toward me, I realized, of course, she hadn't done it for me. She'd, or she hadn't done it for herself. She'd done it for me. She'd done it to spice things up. Oh, the poor thing, standing there, so vulnerable, so often mistaken as pregnant, standing before me like a plucked chicken. And then she pushed me down on the bed. Okay, um, this is the two-minute mark where I get really dirty. She pushed me down and went down on me, and I thought, of course, hello, blowjob, my old friend. You've come to visit me again. And I remember this from the old days, and then it began to tingle, then burn. Remember the gargling I mentioned? Yeah, well, I guess this shit show of a hotel offered some alcohol-based moonthal moonshine mouthwash that was kicking up a storm on my dingly dangly. And when I say dangly, I mean it. No man's passion could withstand that. I ran out of the room, went and put some cold water on it. it bad idea. It was like eucalyptus spring on my little stem and berries. I came back, grabbed the last of the champagne, went into a fetal position. And for some reason, my wife started to cry. And then she said, she knew we had to decide. And I decide what? Are we breaking up? No, she said... We had to decide if we were going to have another child or not. And it had been hanging over us the whole while. And I realized that was the weirdness in our house over the last year. Of course, we had to decide if we were going to have another child. It was hard, and I, I didn't know if I ever wanted to have kids, you know, like maybe you are. I've noticed that people with children are the most goddamn selfish people in the world. <laughs> like their fucking kid is the only thing that matters. Get out of the way, I need a turkey for my child. We need family time. No, we don't. I came from one. <laughs> and there she stood. It had been hard on us. And she's asking if we wanted to do it again. I stared at my gorgeous, engorged wife. I knew it'd soon be time for my, you know, shift at the dairy. <laughs> and by the blazing electric light, I looked at her and felt the spark that would become our next child. Thank you. <laughs> Bruce McCullough, some erotic nonfiction. Stay right here, man. Let's get everybody from round one up. Moshe, Jesse, 
Emily. All right, so we're going to vote on a winner with your applause. First, I'm going to remind you of what everybody read, so no applause just yet. Uh, we started with Jesse Elias with Disney, then Emily Heller with Frasier, Moshe Kasher with Outside Lands, and finally Bruce McCullough with Sex Weekend. So with your applause, pick a favorite, starting with Jesse Elias, Disney. <laughs> Emily Heller, Frasier. Moshe Kasher, Outside Lands. Bruce McCullough, Sex Weekend. You guys just loved everybody. That makes it hard. I think we're going to do a runoff between Moshe and Jesse. Pick a favorite, really sell it for your favorite, starting with Jesse Elias. Moshe Kasher. Ty, Jesse and Moshe. Congratulations, Jesse and Moshe. Thanks to everybody from round one. Who do we have ready for round two? Someone. That does it for round one, and congratulations, Jesse and Moshe. To hear round two from this show, featuring Matt Bronger, Joe Mandy, Dave Hill, and Kate Berlant reading pieces they wrote based upon audience suggestions, Download episode 34 next week on October 26th. Come see competitive erotic fanfiction live. November's 15th or 16th will be in Eugene, Oregon. Venue is still pending. November 17th in Portland, Oregon. Again, venue still pending. November 22nd, Nerd Melton, LA. December 27th, Union Hall in New York City. December 28th, Davis Square Theater in Boston. And January 5th at the Tacoma Comedy Club in Tacoma, Washington. Details can always be found in the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Facebook group or by following me on Twitter, at Brian Cooking. See you next time. Now leaving Nerdist.com.